Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, you manifested to us that you are love, that your love is for your whole creation, and you desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to give his life on behalf of all sinners, that in him we may be reconciled unto you. So teach us each day how to trust in the death and resurrection of Christ for us and how to live out our faith in love for one another. So bless us now in this hour as we study your word. May these words of John illuminate our Savior that we might rejoice and trust in him alone. In Jesus' name. Okay, so uh, we are going through the prologue of John very slowly because, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, And I I should say I'm sorry about that, but I'm not because uh, we're going fast, actually, the way there's so much in this text. There's so much in John 1 verses 1 through 18 that it's just it's amazing how it was written and how much is in here. So we'll continue to go through it. Um, We've gone from introducing Jesus as the pre-existent Son of God. Okay, that's a that's a mouthful. But the pre-existent that's fun. Son of God. What does that mean? Well, he, yeah, before he came in the flesh, right? Before he came in the flesh, he he existed. So when was a time when Jesus didn't exist? The second person of the Trinity. There has never been a time when the second person of the Trinity didn't exist. Okay? He's always been. It's not like there was God the Father and then he had to create the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? We don't say that. The three persons of the Trinity all exist in all eternity. Right? Yeah? Okay. So Jesus is fully God. Okay? So this this person, Jesus, that we confess to be the Word of God in flesh, we'll get there today, we confess that He is the second person of the Trinity. Right? The second person. That's just a fancy way of saying not the Father, not the Spirit, but the Son. Okay? The second person in the Trinity is Jesus before he had flesh and now that he has flesh. Okay? He's he's still the second person in the Trinity. Yeah? Which means he's fully God. Okay, that's how John begins his gospel. Just that idea right there. And if that's not enough, there's more. Okay, so he also talks about how this, this word is, the second, is not the first person of the Trinity. Right? There are different persons in this idea of God. Yeah, remember that? So this, this word who is in the beginning is not the same thing as God because he was with God, right? But, before you go too far, he is God. So we've got this, two, this, this at least duality going on in the idea of God. And yet we know that God, there's only one God, right? So in this one God, there's at least two different ideas or something's going on here in John's Gospel. We call those persons. Now, we'll learn later there's a third, and that's the Holy Spirit, but we're not there yet. Okay? And then we moved on, and we realized that, that, that this, this second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is actually the one through whom the world was created. And apart from him, nothing was created. Everything that exists, exists because of the second person of the Trinity, because of this word. Okay? <laughs> And in him was life, and this life was the light of men. Then we met this guy who, who came from God. His name is John. Okay, And he came to bear witness about the light. That's where we're kind of in that section right now. Okay? Any questions from what we've, we've done so far? This is our fifth week, and we're on verse six. Matt. I was reading the book at one point, and it was talking about the 
burning scar. Yeah. And like it was referring to like both Christ and Satan. Right. So it was just kind of confusing because like they talk about the morning star. I mean, I know Satan was created. Yeah, just say Yeah. So, so Lucifer is the name. Yeah, this is kind of all gets a little weird. Lucifer is is Satan's name as an angel, if you want to think of it that way. Satan was an angel of God who fell into sin and became Satan. Satan means what? Do you know what Satan means? It, it just means deceiver. He's the guy who deceives. Okay, he's the deceiving guy. Okay, so uh, the Satanas is the one who deceives or lies. Um, so Lucifer is kind of his, the easiest way to think of it is, that's his angel name. Okay, and it means that he's like this, this light guy. Okay, so he's the star of the morning is one of the things it's called. Um, and Jesus is also termed the son of the morning. Now, what, the reason this is kind of important, this, this is going to be weird, so hang on. It's okay. It ends well. But when you look at the archangels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and possibly Lucifer, if he was an archangel, which it seems like he might have been, Jesus is described in similar ways that they are described, or more accurately saying it, they share some of the qualities that are used to describe Jesus. This is extremely true with the archangel Michael. Okay, There are a lot of places where it's actually hard to tell whether the text is describing Michael or Jesus. This is true in Daniel. It's also true in the book of Revelation where some of the descriptions of the great archangel could be actually descriptions of Jesus. We don't know. They're that similar. Well, this seems to be true of the archangels. Even their names kind of invoke ideas that are usually about Jesus. Does that make sense? So like Michael actually is the name that means who is like God? That's what his name, that's what Michael means. For all you people that are named Michael, your name means who is like God. Mikael, who is like God. Okay, and Michelle is just saying it in a feminine way. <laughs> it's the same name. Michael and Michelle are the same name. Like, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's my name, really? Um, so, so the, the archangels and Jesus kind of share this idea of they have a lot of similar qualities because the whole goal of the archangels is to show people who God really is. That's their entire reality is that they are there to tell people who God is, right? That's, that's their interaction with humanity is to tell us about God. So Gabriel, who's a man of God, um, he tells us about God's plan in the Messiah. That's his, that's his role. So the, the reason they share these similar qualities is probably because of his his stature as an archangel before he fell into sin. Okay? And that's why the scriptures say that he can even appear as an angel of light and, and therefore deceive us. Because Satan can look like he's really good, but it's part of his deception. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But, but the thrust of scripture is, and, and especially the book of John, we'll get there, is that They might look alike and even sound alike sometimes, but only Jesus can be trusted. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's lots of similarities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Satan is trying to deceive us, and he will do that by pretending he's Jesus. So he prowls around like a roaring lion. And Jesus is described as a lion, a lion of the tribe of Judah. So Satan will try to pretend he's like Jesus and get you to follow him. 
This is actually a huge issue. Um, yeah, we need to get to this. But, but I, I just can't say this enough. There's only one trustworthy guy. Only one. And he's the one who is actually God in the flesh. He's the only one that you put all of your trust in. He's the only one. No one else. Paul is only trustworthy because he is speaking on behalf of Jesus. Peter is only trustworthy because he's speaking on behalf of Jesus. John is only trustworthy because he's speaking the words of Jesus. Right? This is in our liturgy. When it comes time to forgive your sins, what does your pastor say? In the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus, right? What is he saying? I am speaking the words of Jesus. That's why they're trustworthy and true. Okay? So, so this is a huge issue in the New Testament is can you trust any of these words? Can you trust what Jesus says? And the, the question is, if you say yes, why? What makes his words trustworthy? Because he's actually God. And even in his humanity, he, he does nothing outside the will of God. So every word of Jesus is the word of God. Every action of Jesus is the action of God. Who else can that be said about? Tom's raising his hand. It can be said about Tom also, apparently. <laughs> I wasn't looking for volunteers, but we got one. Now, who else, who else can you say that? That all of his actions and all of his words are those of God? You can't see him. He doesn't have any actions. What other person can you say that about? Nobody. Welcome to the New Testament. Okay? That's the point. This is the one guy that you can look at and say, when he speaks, it's the word of God. When he acts, it's the actions of God. So therefore, when he dies and he rises, that's God for you. When John starts, he starts with the word, the word being at the beginning of creation. The word has no beginning and no ending. But the word made flesh is how the theologian came of that as the beginning and the death. Because initially, he was across the face of the waters of the, of the creation yeah. as, as uh, eternal. Yep. But there's a beginning to the word made flesh. That's right. We'll get there. Maybe. That's number three. That's, that's literally number three. But we'll see if we get there. Right. Last week we only got to, to two. So, you know. Yeah, it's going to take a while. It's just going to take a while. All right, so let's read. Let's read 6 through 13. Let's, let's read John 1, verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, thank you. So number one, what is the will of God? Could you say that everything but sin? Yeah, you can. But what is it here? What is it in this text? That all might believe in the light and that all might become the children of God. Okay, these are interesting ideas. 
John is sent as a witness to the light. He's not the light, but he is sent in order that all might believe in the light. Right? So God sends a guy named John, John the Baptist, not the writer of the gospel, the baptizer John guy. He is sent for the purpose of helping people believe in the light. Okay? So God did this, and God's will in doing this is that all might believe in the light. So we have this will of God focused on people believing in the light, and his name is Jesus, right? We know that Jesus is the light. So that they, we have the idea that God's will is believing in Jesus, and then, therefore, or through that, become children of God. Okay, so the will of God is that all might believe in Jesus and thereby become children of God. That's his will. That's what God wants to happen. Just, yeah, Matt. Just at the end where it talks about we were born out of blood and will. I mean, I guess he wants his will to all him. Right, exactly. It's, it's all him, not us. That's huge. Very good. Okay, so the way this comes about then, who... Who allows you to believe in Jesus and therefore become a child of God? Who does that? The arrows. <laughs> yes, the arrows. Well, not yet. It will be later. There's a Holy Spirit in the prologue of John. Who does that? The Word. Yeah. Yeah. In the prologue, what does it say? There is a man sent from God. And they come, become children not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Okay? So, God is the one who does this. God is in charge of you believing in Jesus and you becoming a child of God. God does that and he's in charge of it. That's all in his realm. Not in yours. Okay? Do you believe that? Do you see what John is saying here? I mean, that, that's pretty explicit in the text. Now, just a side note. This is, this is just kind of fun. Believing is used in John all over the place. This is the gospel of believing. Okay, way more than the rest of the gospels. Faith is never used in the gospel of John. The verb believing is used all over the place, but the noun faith is never used. So what this means in John's gospel, believing is actually an active thing. It's not an object or, or a thing you have or possess like I have faith. No, believing is something you do. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You trust in him. Okay? It's, it's a verb. In the Gospel of John, it's always a verb. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. By believing, you would have life in his name. So this belief is something that has to do with living. You're alive in Christ. You trust in him. And the result of believing is that you become children of God. Okay? So the result of believing is that you become children of God. But aren't we, I mean, aren't we all children of God? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Some people are children of Satan. That's in three. We're not in three yet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, the whole decision theology is mm-hmm. this like a good reputation mm-hmm. of that? It's a very good reputation of it. The entire, the entire movement of the prologue is extremely against any human action in this at all. Oh, it has so much leg to it. <sighs> okay. Decision theology. Decision <laughs> theology is what? I, gotta I have to make a decision. I decide to accept Jesus. I ask Jesus into my heart. I 
decided to follow Jesus. Okay? I make a decision. I got baptized because I wouldn't profess my faith to the world. That's decision theology. It's all about who did what. Who does stuff with decision theology? I do. Yay, me. What does God do? In decision theology, what does God do? Passively waits for you to... He's, he's really excited you made such a good decision. He's so happy. Yay! You decided to love me. Where in the Bible do you have people deciding? Well, you have to. You have to accept it. So you have to at some point. I don't know if word decision is the right word, but you have. If you if you don't take it in, you you reject it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Good. Then the Holy Spirit push you to. Oh boy. <laughs> that's not in John one at all. There's no Holy Spirit in John. One. I've always thought of it as like you know God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. You know, so He puts this thing in like this belief and for me took an obsession out of my head that I couldn't do what I wanted uh-huh. to do. And then he allows us to do things that we can do on our own. We have to do footwork, do things. And that's kind of where I feel that we have a decision of what we, what we do, I guess. <laughs> why? We have some bad will. I remember that. Why, yeah. <laughs> why, why do we want to play a role in our salvation? Okay, good. That's a, that's a very good observation. One of the reasons that this is so prevalent in America is because America is based on the whole idea that I am the king of my destiny. I am in charge of making sure I get what I want. Okay? So, so what happens is... Mm, this is this is a this is pretty much the whole point of scripture. So it's not going to be an easy answer. But the reality is is that our sinfulness has taught us that I am the center of my existence. I am the most important aspect in my existence. Therefore, when it comes to the most important thing, I have to play a part. So it's going to talk about whether or not I am saved. It's only logical that I would play a part in that. And then we wake up in the morning and we say, well, if I didn't set my alarm and I didn't get out of bed, I wouldn't be in church. So obviously I am in charge of making this decision. If I never went to church, I wouldn't be a Christian. Therefore, when I decided to read the Bible and I decided to go to church, I decided to be a Christian. Right? And we say, well, some people aren't here. That's their decision. We came. So what's the difference between me and them? It's simple. I decided to come. They decided not to. Right? No. It doesn't mean that they're not Christian. It just yeah, it does. Means... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> okay. For now, it does. For this argument, it does. Well, that's a, that's a whole other issue. But we'll talk about that later. Um, so, so what we want to do is we is is our sinfulness always says to to define life by I. I did this, I did that, I did the other thing. But Scripture teaches us something very different. Scripture says that because of our original sin, we are born dead. We are born dead in sin and enemies of God. And I will never decide to follow Jesus. That's, it's literally impossible for me to decide to follow Jesus. I will always sin. 
because that's all I've got to do. When I am born, I inherit my parents' sinfulness. It's their fault, not mine. <laughs> Unfortunately, I seem to be very complicit in it because I keep sinning. But, but when we are born with original sin, what this means is that our natures are so corrupted that there's no goodness enough in us in order to decide to follow God. The only decision we'll ever make is to sin. Ever. Ever. You will never on your own decide to do anything good. That's what sin means. When you say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, or by nature, sinful and unclean, what you're saying is, there's nothing in me that would ever decide to be good. Now, I might decide to be generally good in society's terms, like be nice to people, but I will never be good in God's eyes. I will never do anything that is pleasing in God's sight in and of myself. It's not possible. That's the teaching of original sin. Okay? Ephesians 2.1 As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Right? Romans 5 You were born enemies of God. Okay? So, what happens is this I this I, dead in sin enemies of God cannot decide to follow God but God is able to decide for you what you should decide for yourself, but you can't. And so he gives you a Holy Spirit who actually will kill that sin in you and raise you up in faith so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can believe in Jesus. Now, that's all God's doing. God is the one who gives you the faith to believe. God is the one who gives you the ability to decide to come to church. When you make a decision that feels to you like you decided it, and it's something that pleases God, guess who actually did that? The Holy Spirit living in you. Okay? This is what happens in Matthew 25. You all know it, the story of the sheep and the goats, right? And they separate the sheep and the goats, and you guys are all smart, so as soon as Jesus came back, you, read, you ran left, right? Because that's Jesus' right. And, and he says to the sheep on his right, you did all these wonderful things. And they go, when did, what? I don't remember doing those things. Because this is what it's like. The Holy Spirit is the one who's working the good works in you. Now, you decided to come to church this morning. Was that a good work? Yes. Yes. Who did that in you? The Holy Spirit. Does it feel like you made a decision? Yes. Who gave you that decision to make and make it good? It's the Holy Spirit. See, so what happens is, and this is a thrust of John. Remember, it says he came to his own and everyone rejected him. But to those who did receive him. Well, how did they receive him? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there is no decision. I don't ask Jesus into my heart. I don't decide to believe. The Holy Spirit gives me faith. And then once I have that faith, I learn to make decisions according to the faith I have. So tonight I can decide to do devotions before I go to bed. I can decide to read the scriptures. Why? Because the Spirit is teaching me how to live in Christ. And now my decisions are informed. So what happens is, I, this, this is not just something totally made up. I actually had this experience. My friend comes to me and he says, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And I said, really? Why? Why would you do that? Oh, I went on this retreat. This speaker talked to us about the, the sin and the scriptures and and at the end, I was like, yeah, I, I want to ask you my heart. And I said, good. Two weeks later, he came up and he said, oh, I backslid. I went to a party. I, I said, why? He said, well, there was this really pretty girl there I wanted to date. And I was like, what? <laughs> I understand. We were in high school. It's okay. And he said, but now I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Because I don't feel the way I felt when I made that decision for Jesus. So I said, but 
But the word that that pastor spoke to you that made you want to decide to follow Jesus, is that word still true? He said, I hope so. And I said, it is. That word is what makes you a Christian, not your faith. Not your acceptance of it. Not your decision. See, it's the word. It's the action of God that changes our hearts. Now, we might say, now I decide to be a Christian. Okay, fine. But that's, that's secondary to what God has done in you through the hearing of his word. Right? See, these people say, I'm a Christian because I asked Jesus in my heart. They're just so wrong on the timing. They're not a Christian because they asked Jesus in their heart. They asked Jesus in their heart because they became a Christian. Because they heard the word. Because the Spirit said, hey, believe this. They went, okay. And they were, they were misled into thinking it happened because they asked Jesus in their heart. No, they didn't. That's not why it happened. They asked Jesus in their heart because the word had changed them, had given them faith. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Right? Through the hearing of the word, our sinfulness is literally killed and we're raised up in Christ to have a life of faith. Who can kill and bring back to life? Only God. So who can save? Only God. So in the burning bush, that's kind of where I was, that thought process is, where I said earlier, that he, when he pauses and he stops, he turns around and walks back. And he sees it, and then the Lord sees it, he does it. Yeah. You got to remember, this is Moses. Yeah. This isn't just some dude. Okay, this is Moses who God has set apart to be the leader of his people Israel and to rescue them out of slavery. So the whole burning bush episode is not necessarily a description of how I or you believe. No, no. It's, it's a description of how Moses was called to lead God's people. And, and that's kind of the point of the story is Moses is just kind of like, what is this thing? I think I'll go check it out. Well, I don't think it's just Moses having a, a, a thought in his head. This is how God is calling him. Yeah. And remember, the point of the book of Exodus... Yeah, we got we to gotta go on. But the point of the book of Exodus is God's name and who God is. That's the whole point of the book of Exodus. What is God's name and what, is, what are God's qualities? Okay? So in Exodus 3, the burning bush, the whole point of the episode is Moses says, well, well who are you? Then he says, I am. And then in, in chapter 6, Moses is talking to him again, and he, talks to, he tells him his name, Yahweh, right? And then, and, and then it just keeps going. So the point, of, the point of the burning bush is that Moses is drawn to Yahweh because Yahweh draws him to himself, just like he will draw his people to himself through the rest of the book, right? God will draw people to him by his actions. His primary action is to save his people. By that, he will draw his people to himself. Susan. Back to this. Okay, so when my parents brought me to be baptized, uh-huh. dead to sin, alive in Christ. Yep. So that was not a decision on their part. That was the acting out of their faith. There's no difference. Their at that point, there's no difference. So is that a decision? Yeah. Okay. It's a decision that the Holy Spirit the taught us to do. Right. So, so, okay. So, I don't know how to draw this, but I'm going to because, you know, that's what I do. So, this is chronological at this point, okay? So, before, so this is, this is time. I don't know why I drew that way because time doesn't go that way, but we pretend it does. Right? So before we're in Christ, you can't make any decision that pleases God. It's not possible. Before you are in Christ, you cannot decide anything that makes God happy. That's the teaching of Scripture. Without faith, you can't please God. So before you are in Christ, you can't decide anything that makes Him happy. Nothing good. Once you're in Christ, your decisions that are not sin are all pleasing to God. 
Now that you're in Christ, anything you do that isn't sin is a good work and pleasing to God and done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are doing it, if you're making a decision, if you're deciding to bring your child to be baptized, you are making a decision and that decision is a good work in God's sight because the Holy Spirit is teaching you to make that decision. So yes, I was brought to baptism because my parents woke up and decided to bring me to church that Sunday and do be baptized. Yes. But who did that? The Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit keeps the church and grows the church. So yes, please decide to love people today. Make that decision. Decide to read the scriptures. Decide to come to church. Decide to pray. And when you do, that's the Holy Spirit working through you. Right? See, what the issue is, is that... <laughs> we'll get there in John 8. The, <laughs> the illusion, the lie, the deception of Satan is that you are free. The lie is that you are free. You are not free. You will never be free. You will always serve a master. And I know that's offensive. Reminds me of Paul saying he's about servant of Christ. So we are too. It's exactly right. You will serve a master. The master of sin ends with death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. <clears throat> Eternity of dying is the result of serving the master of sin and Satan. And all of us are born into that slavery. And everyone who sins is a slave to sin. John chapter 8. But you now serve a different master. Your master is gracious and loving and forgiving. And the result of serving this master is not death, but life. Life eternal. What's that? And that is actually freedom. Freedom is serving a gracious master. See, what happens is we want to be free of any master. We want to be our own master. And Satan says, go ahead, you can. Right? This is the whole point. He comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and he says, don't listen to God. Do what you think is best. And Eve goes, yeah. Women are always doing this. <laughs> so, but this is whenever Satan comes to any human, male or female, and tells us you get to do your own thing, that always sounds good to us. And so he does. And so we always say, yes, I get to do what I want, I get to be in charge. So even when it comes to salvation, we want to be in charge. But listen to the way John is doing this in his prologue. It's all from God. All of the goodness comes from God. All of the sinfulness and the death comes from us. You are not free to be without a master. The second you think you have no master, you're enslaved to a master who is lying to you. And I know this is hard to hear. You don't have a free will. You never have. And freedom is found in only and always doing the will of God. That's freedom. Do you know what you call it when all you do is the will of God day and night? Do you know what you call that? Heaven. Bliss. Paradise. 
See, when you're in heaven, you're not going to be running around doing whatever you want. You're going to be always and only doing what God wants. And you call that paradise. Why not try it now? See, this is the point, is that once we're in Christ, we actually want to be enslaved to him. We want to be his slave because that's where we find life. I guarantee you, if I stop sinning, that would be the best thing for all of you. Especially that one. <laughs> if I could stop sinning and only and always do the will of God, that would be the very best thing for this entire world. And for me. But the fact that I can't stop sinning is actually not the solution, but the problem. And my independence, my desire to have my way is not good. It's evil. Okay? So this is the, mo- the movement of salvation then, is that it's God's will enacted on you. You don't have a choice. Thank God for that. It's grace. I don't need 30 seconds. It's really simple. We don't have a clue. Don't know. I don't have a clue. Same question of how did Adam and Eve sin? I have no idea. I have no clue. Free will is not the answer. Because it doesn't make any sense. The scripture doesn't testify to that. But, I don't know. But isn't his will limited by... You think it should be, but it, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it is at times when he goes and he allows things to happen like this. Yeah, now Satan is bound by Christ. That's, that's explicitly clear. But how did it happen in the first place? I don't have a clue. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't have happened. One theologian who I really respect says that the, the story of Genesis 3 should make us all say, what? Why would you decide to go against the one who created you and gave you this perfect place to live? Why would you do that? I don't understand that decision. Why would Eve listen to a, a snake instead of listening to the creator who walks with her in the garden every day? Why would Adam go along with this? It doesn't make any sense. The story doesn't make sense. Here's the creator who has given you everything good, and he's giving you a tree. If you want to live forever, just eat. I mean, he's like a Lutheran, right? He has potlucks. And, and by potlucks, you have life. And it's, it's the perfect arrangement. This, this tree is a sacrament. There's a sacramental tree. And here comes a snake and goes, nah, don't take all that. Take death instead. And Eve goes, Sounds good. No, it doesn't. That sounds awful. But that's how the story goes. It doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing, and this this is actually something I, I do want you to think through. Does it actually explain our existence? Yeah, the fall and the sin. Does original sin actually make sense in your? daily encounters with human beings. Are people basically good who mess up every once in a while or are people kind of bent on evil? Honestly. We're kind of bent on evil. That's right. That's concupiscence. Good. So what happens is... Do you know why I like concupiscence? Because you're really good at it. Because it's actually what you observe in reality. This isn't something you have to just accept and say, oh, I don't see it, but I guess it's true. No, you want to talk to people, it won't take long before you realize that all of us are really just self-serving. Even those of us who try to be Christians, we're kind of just selfish. And we've learned to be kind about it and polite about it but we're kind of just selfish. And that's saying it nicely. 
If you've ever tried to raise children, they are not innocent little things that you get to mold into whoever you want them to be. <laughs> you at one point will, will sit down with your spouse or somebody else and say, I don't know where they got that from. <laughs> yeah, Robin says, well, I do. And I go, <laughs> but you sit down with your children who you love more than the world itself and, you, and you've raised them and you've loved them every day of their lives and, and, they, and you look at them and you go, why are you thinking these things? Why are you saying these things? Why are you making these decisions? And the answer is, they're sinners. Just like I was, oh wait, just like I am. And so it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, I don't have a clue how Satan fell. I don't have a clue. The Bible doesn't even say. All we know is he did. And with him went one third of the heavens. Which doesn't make any sense either. So not only Satan, but one third of the holy angels are like, yeah, we like the anti-God guy. I don't know why. That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's yeah, that's that's Milton's take on it in in Milton's poem, and oh. and Dante. I mean, a lot of what we think we know about Satan is really from not the Bible. It's people trying to explain this. So, so the most prevalent idea was that Satan wanted to be God instead of God being God. But that's just kind of like saying sin in a different way. That's what all of us want. So we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It just says he did fall. And now that he's fallen, he got, tries to get all of us to fall with him. That's all we know. Okay? I told you I get to number three. <laughs> Or do you have number two yet? Okay, go ahead, Susan. Well, okay. More to the point, why did God create the tree of good and evil? And then why did he tell man to eat? You can have anything in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, now do you guys trust me? No. Will you love me even if I make you mad? <laughs> Do you want the real answer? Yes. Because he wants to save you. Because he loves you. Everything that has happened from the creation of the world until now, it's all to testify <clears throat> that God loves you. And he will do everything it takes to save you. Including the fall into sin. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm not trying to make it make sense. I'm just telling you the truth. It's all included in God's plan to save you. To save mankind. There's no logic in it. I only have the testimony of the word of God that says that. That before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified for you and you were brought into that through God's love. And that's why all of this happened was because God loves you. Nothing can happen ever that can separate you from that love. It's an eternal reality. And that eternal reality is all focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus, which makes all of this so that you are saved. That's all I know. That's the message of Scripture. I guess, and I, I guess I'm trying to figure out, is this like because of original sin or is this because of our American ideals or what? It seems like we put, it's almost like putting a big red button in the middle of the room and saying, don't push. We're yeah. all going to be circling that big red button wanting to push it. You're going to push it. Right. This, is what, this is what Paul says in Romans 7. He goes, he goes, it's not my fault, I said, it's God's fault. He says, here's the thing. If, if I was doing just fine and then God comes along and says, don't covet. And I went, I got to covet something. He said, that's what I do. When God says, don't, the first thing I do is try to, this actually happened at work. 
this week. Somebody went in, the, in our room and they wrote on the wall, do not erase. <laughs> I have walked there and going, I want to erase the board. I didn't want to erase it before it said don't erase. <laughs> Every day now I'm like, I've got to erase the board. I've even told this person, I said, I'm going to erase the board. They're like, why? I said, because you told me I couldn't. Okay? So yes, that's our concupiscence. Okay. And, and God knows that. And that's why when the Ten Commandments, the first year you start thinking is, wait, I can murder somebody without just hating them? Ooh. <laughs> I have that kind of power. And all of a sudden what happens is our sinfulness takes this. We read the story. I mean, just have you ever read the story not as a sinner? You read the story and you go, well, it's not their fault. God put the tree there. That's how a sinner reads the story. But how does a saint read the story? All these gracious things God gave to us. All of them. All except one. They had all of eternity to enjoy all the creation of God. Just don't go over there. That's all. It's no big deal. But we say, oh, no, 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 no. There must be something over there worth going to. If there's a big red button, it must be something for good reason bush. See, and, and what God is saying is, in Him, you have an eternity to enjoy all the good things. I know you're going to run over and push the button. I know. You are loved, you are forgiven, and you are eternally in Christ. Even if you push the button. Okay? So I don't know why. I can't answer the whys. All we can answer is what God has done to save us. That's the point of Scripture. Okay? So, number two. <laughs> I am going to ask you this. What is the opposite of the will of God? My will. Human will. The will of the flesh. Okay, this is exactly what he says. Children born of God, not born of the flesh, not born of blood, not born of a, of a husband's will. Okay, so you're either born of that or you're born of God. Well, guess what? You're now born of God. So live that way. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we have a lot of questions. And we will never find the answers because many of them are divine mysteries. So draw us to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. For there we see that you are a God who loves, a God who forgives, and a God who gives life to all of us who have been made your children by your gracious work. Keep us ever in the one true faith. Let us love and serve with pure joy this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you all.